Well, I am going to take a right turn for those of you who have been with us. Um, we've been, I don't want to say trudging, that sounds bad, but we've been working our way through First and Second Samuel, the story of uh, Saul and David. And, and uh, this week I realized, you know, this, I think I'm going to go somewhere different this Sunday because where we're at in Second Samuel is uh, the beginning of David's massive slide into adultery and murder and lies and and yet this is Father's Day, and it's supposed to be a time to celebrate fatherhood. And I thought, man, if I preach David's slide into sin on Father's Day, then the fathers are going to leave heavy. Like, why do we go to church? It was all about sin. So, so indulge my, my right turn. I wanted to do something encouraging this morning, and, and it's a bit more on the practical side. It's something that the Lord has been teaching me as I've meditated um, on these passages of Scripture, just so you know, and you probably figured this out by now, because I quote a lot from the book of Ephesians. It is, it is kind of a center hub for me, and um, I meditate on it every week, uh, the first four chapters, chapter five too, but mostly one through four. And, um, and every time, I, the Lord, the Holy Spirit reveals something um, not new, but fresh to me. And, um, and so I wanted to share with you something that the Lord has been teaching my soul that I have found encouraging. I have sought by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, to, to live this out, and I'm still in process, but I, I pray it might um, help you as well. And that is what I want to look at this morning is an important balance um, that we as Christians must have, um, balance. Um, we're familiar with that word, um, the idea of, even as I stand on the stage, you know, of having your weight equally distributed on two feet so that you're secure, um, the idea of maintaining balance. And most of us, I think, by experience, know how important balance is. It's key to health, uh, key to, uh, in some sense, joy and well-being. And the absence of or the lack of balance oftentimes is, uh, well, harmful. If I, if I fell, I could hit my head or break my arm because I lacked balance. We have balanced checkbooks, balanced budgets, or at least we try to have balanced checkbooks, balanced budget, balanced pH, balanced life, balanced hormones, and balanced tires on your car. I don't know if you've ever driven a car where the tires aren't balanced, but it's like you put a quarter in one of those old Magic Fingers beds in cheap hotels, only it's on speed and the whole thing wobbles because it's meant to be in balance, and it runs well when things are in balance. And the same holds true for the Christian life as this idea of maintaining balance, and in particular, on truths or realities that the Scripture reveals which sometimes seem uh, contrary. Uh, you just have these truths in Scripture that seem like, like, how do those fit together? Like one big one is the belief that God is sovereign over all things, that he controls and determines all things, which is a biblical truth. And the other truth, which is the reality that we're called to be responsible and make choices and actions and questions. Now, how those two come together, ultimately, theologians have never figured out. But a healthy Christian life is built on two steps fully and completely on those two things. And if, if, you, uh, if you side on one side or the other, then in, inevitably it's unhealthy, spiritually speaking. Um, well, I want to look at kind of uh, a way of an important balance that we must maintain as, as believers, and it's not on those two truths that I'm going to look at um, this morning. I do want to make one clarification, and that is um, almost every a- analogy or metaphor that you use um, to the Christian life always... Um, suffers in some way. That is, it, 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 it has its strengths and has its weaknesses. And by balance, I don't mean putting 50% of one's faith in one truth and 50% of one's faith in another truth. It's 100% both feet. 
okay? And I believe the vitality and the health and the joy of you as a Christian individual, your marriage, if both partners are, are married, or even if one partner is not, or this as a church, is, um, is largely conditioned upon us maintaining a really careful balance on two realities that have come to light to me in this section of, of Ephesians. So I'm hoping this morning that we'll get our, our balance and that the Lord will, will use this in, in your life. Let me read the text, and then I'll show you the balance. You'll kind of pick up on it in, um, when I read. This is Paul after his summary of majestic doctrine in verses 3 through 14. He gets personal. Now he, if you will, looks at the camera towards the Ephesian believers, and this is what he says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I'll read more of it in a moment, but um, part of, if you will, just I want you to just think of two legs this morning because there's only two points. Part of... Um, one side of, of where we need balance is reflected in the first part of these verses, 15 and the first part of 16. Namely, gratitude, thanksgiving. That's how he starts, is after his little discourse, he looks directly through a letter at the Ephesian believers, and he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus vertical and your love towards all the saints horizontal, I do not cease to give thanks. Gratitude. That's one, one part or truth or reality that we have to live out like Paul did. To live a life of perpetual gratitude, but it's a gratitude with a per- distinctive Christian qualities to it. Like, when I think of gratitude, the way I would define it is the joyful response of praise um, for uh, undeserved goodness or gift. That is, part of gratitude is a sense of joy, a joy or praise because we've experienced something we know we really don't deserve. And so our heart kind of praises with this sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's, that's what his gratitude is. And he here is, Paul, giving gratitude, a sense of joyful praise to God for what's happening in the Ephesian church. Now, as I said, there, if you think of it, there's like on this leg, there are three like distinctive Christian strands. One of them has to do with the source of what causes his gratitude. And the source of it is, is God's grace. Um, that is, evidences or signs of grace that's already been received in the lives of the believers. Beginning of 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Why? And you back up to 15, it says, because I have heard of things that are already going on in your lives, of your faith in the Lord Jesus. They're actually trusting the Lord, these people, so he's giving thanks, and they're loving each other. They're, they're, they're love toward all the saints. They're, they're forgiving each other. They're bringing each other meals when they're sick. They're, they're helping one another. They're working together. They're being hospitable to each other. And he's hearing these reports of God's grace alive in this church. And that's what causes his heart to uh, kind of rise up with a welling sense of gratitude and praise to the Lord. But again, the point being, the distinctive strand is, is that What matters most to Paul and really should matter most to us is is that God's grace is at work. 
You get a sense of what's important to a person by what they repeatedly pray for. And, and you don't hear Paul praying for things like, well, I'm really thankful that you guys got a brand new church building and have expanded the education wing. Thankful for the brand new pipe organ that they just installed with a huge base, whatever they call those big pipes. Um, and the fact that the church budget's not in the red, it's in the black. Um, now, not that we shouldn't give thanks for those things. But you know what? You can have a brand new church, you can have a massive pipe organ, and you can have a budget that's in the black, and the church can be stone-cold dead. I have been to cathedrals in Europe that were ornate, beautiful, massive pipe organs and funding, and they were as dead as the stones they were built out of. That doesn't matter to him. Why? Because it's not eternal. It's not, it's not, it's not the sign that God is actually alive. These are signs of grace, love and trust. People that are trusting the Lord, that's a sign that the Spirit is alive. The people loving each other with Christ-like service, sacrificial love, that's a sign that the Spirit is in the church. The grace is alive. And that's what he's excited about. Like God is actually vibrantly and powerfully in the midst of the body, and you can see it in their faith and their love. I mean, those are some of the most important evidences of, of if not the most important evidences of, of God being alive in a person like you or a family like us that there can be. You can speak with the tongues of angels and you can have all knowledge, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean a thing. And we're told that without faith, no one can please the Lord. That means those two things are really important. And here, this church is alive with faith and alive with love. And later, he's going to talk about hope, the holy triad of Paul, faith, hope, and, and love. That's what he's giving thanks for. He's, he's giving thanks because he's seeing grace alive in this, in this church. I wonder how many of us look at those things and find our hearts welling up with gratitude towards the essential things. Not just being thankful that your kid got an A in a class, in an AP class, but thankful that you're child shared a toy with sister, showing forth a little bit of love and going, that, that's awesome. You can sense like Paul as a father going, that's what matters. And I'm, Lord, thank you. Gratitude. Praise to God for doing such a unique and wonderful little work. That's what we ought to be looking for and, and also should be the source of this ongoing gratitude in our lives is seeing all right, God, are you alive in this community? Are you alive in my wife and my children? And just to give praise because God's the only one who can do that. Well, that's kind of strand one of, of this leg of gratitude as it finds its source in God's saving grace. Um, but there's another strand that's worth taking note of, and that is that he says, I do not cease. In other words, it's habitual. It's continual. It's not once a year when you gather around a table with turkey and with whatever that red sauce is that I hate, to give thanks. If that's all, the only time we stop, pause, and give thanks to God, that's completely and utterly pathetic. He's like, I don't, whenever I, my understanding of how this works with Paul is either intentionally or when they come to remembrance by happenstance or by the Holy Spirit. When, when the Ephesian church comes to mind, he's like, oh, Lord, thank you that you're alive in them. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for their love. And he continually is giving thanks, gratitude. Not once in a while, but, but actually continually. It's a habitual thing to, to be grateful for what God is, is doing. That, too, is, is an important strand of, of this. Health on this side 
of the, uh, of the balance sheet, if you will, is to have this gratitude of heart that's rooted in grace, that's habitual or continual. And then the third strand here on this side um, I know what it was. <laughs> you know, I, it, I don't know if you know this, but I don't really preach with notes, and it's never really cost me anything until now. Um, <laughs> well, I guess the Holy Spirit wanted me to skip that one. May the Spirit of wisdom. Grace received. Is this awkward? Well, maybe I'll remember it. I know where I want. I know where I want to go with it. Um, one of the reasons it's important for us to constantly um, plant this foot in the gratitude towards the Lord um, for His grace, and to do it continually, is because um, without that, we find ourselves um, descending into frustration. Uh, impatience, judgmental spirits. We can't look and say, hey, if, Lord, just thank you for, for, for doing what you're doing in my family's life. I know for me, personally, um, that when, when I find myself frustrated, discontent, judgmental, you know what stops? It's when I've stopped being grateful. When, it, when, it, when I've stopped looking at, at the um, at what has been given, and I start looking at what hasn't been given. You start looking at the lack instead of the abundance. And here Paul's looking at it. Ephesian church had its own. Oh, I remember what it was. <laughs> Thank you. Holy Spirit. Oh, Overby's going to be on me for that. Um, it's, it's the priority of it. Before Paul ever goes on to instruct, correct, rebuke, he stops and he wants them to know, I'm going to thank God first. You know, before he ever goes and says, hey, you've got, you got some serious issues with your church, he wants them to know, I am grateful for the grace that God's already given. And how, how, how true that is, not just in this letter, but in the letter that he wrote to the Roman Christians. You know, that's a big letter with lots of things he needs to teach them. And kind of before he gets into it, he stops and says, I just want to say, I, I thank God for your faith. To the Corinthians... You know, it was a divided, deeply divided church with some really messed up doctrine, at least on the resurrection. And he still, at the opening, says, I give thanks to you, to the Lord, because I see grace, even though you're a messed up church. He does the same, doesn't do it with Galatians, because they were really messed up. Um, the Philippians, he does the same thing, opening, I give thanks. And he does it to the Colossians, I give thanks, because of the signs of grace. And to the Thessalonian church, I give thanks. That this is his way of, of allowing the works of God's Spirit to be the cause or the, the source of his great gratitude. That his gratitude was a continual thing, and that it was the first thing. That was the third strand. And when, 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 when it's not the first thing, when it's first in practice, um, but rather you focus almost immediately on what's messed up and what needs fixing, well, then it does breed a heart of discontent and and. and and frustration. I have never, ever, I don't think you have either, met a grateful grump. 
Oscar the Grouch and thankful do not go together. Because grateful, by definition, is a joyful response to a grace or goodness that hasn't been deserved. And grumpiness or grouchiness or frustration or discontent is completely at odds. It is a contradiction with gratitude. And it reminds me of a scene in, in a movie, um, Christmas Vacation, okay? I know it's not Christmas. We have six months to go. But there's this part where Clark Griswold, who has managed to staple lights to every square inch of his house, you know, um, is outside, and he finally gets the lights to go on. Actually, it's his wife that gets the lights to go on. That's typical. Uh, lights to go on. They're all out in the front yard, all the relatives, and, and finally the lights go on, and everybody's kind of happy, and Clark's walking with tears in his eyes, and he walks up to his father-in-law. You remember this? If you've seen the movie. He walks up to his art, dad. And <laughs> you remember what the father-in-law says? He says, those little lights, they're not blinking. Clark's response, yeah, yeah, I know, Art, and thanks for noticing. The lights are on. That's, that's huge. And all you notice is that the lights aren't blinking. Isn't that typical of, of, of how oftentimes we focus on the fact the lights are on, but, hey, they're not blinking like they should. You know, we have work days around the church, for example, and sometimes we have more people and sometimes less people. And we're tempted sometimes to look around when there's only 20 of us and to say, hey, where's everybody else? I'm here. And immediately you find yourself descending into a judgmental spirit, not really knowing whether anybody's busy or, or what's going on. Maybe that people have legitimate reasons. And rather than complaining or being judgmental about those who didn't show up, to be thankful for the ones who did. Say, Lord, thank you. Thankful for, thank you for the ones you brought. And this is going to be fun because there's this focus. The, the first priority in his practice was Stop and give thanks um, because God's grace is alive and he did so continually. Now, that's, that's, that's this side, you know. And by the way, that's, that's true even as you look in your own life. If we were to, as a families, marriages, church community, if we were to have the same approach, it's like look around for the signs of grace and, and allow it to produce in you a sense of joyful praise, um, to God and to do it continually and make it the first part of our practice each day, this would be a very different place. And, and the kind of things that fragment the, the negative side effects of lack of gratitude, like that impatience or judgmental spirit, would evaporate. But even in your own life, when you look at yourself, like here's Jesus, the perfect standard. And here's most of us at different le levels. And if, and if me and my life, I focus on the gap between where I'm at and where Jesus is, which is a pretty big gap, you can I, really easily just kind of just sink into the depression of your own failure because I have so far to go. Now, it may be true that you have a long way to go, and I think most of us have a long way to go. But to not look and recognize, as David did in Psalm 13, the Lord has done bountiful things for me. Look how he's protected me in the past. He brought me through that trial. And I'm still believing in the Lord. And I've learned so many lessons along the way. Thank you. Even in your own soul, you can become ingrateful and frustrated at yourself if there's not this place for 
this gratitude for grace already received. But then let's switch to the other side for a second, because I think someone could say, well, if all, we're, if all we are is grateful all the time, then we're going to be apathetic. We're not going to realize, hey, there's a gap. We've got to do something. To which I think we'd have to probably say, yes, maybe, if there's not this other leg. This continual gratitude based upon God's grace must also be complemented by the next part of what Paul does. So you have this first half, 15 through 16a, which is looking at the grace already given, but notice he switches in the middle of verse 16, and here I'm going to add the rest, where he says, remembering you in my prayers. Now, these are petitions. These are requests. These are Paul asking for more. One is gratitude for grace already given, but now he's going to ask for more future. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, there's a connection to Father's Day, by the way, Father of glory, may give you, now he's looking future, he's looking for more, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may, again, this is forward, anticipatory, may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. I did that because it's all one sentence. There's no period in there. It's hard to tell even where the content of his, what he's praying comes to an end. But you see what he's, he's done? He's, he's grateful. That's the side. But then this prayer is gargantuan. It's like, listen, guys, if I could use this, it's like God has granted you a, a cup of, of, of what he is. But I'm praying that the Spirit, the only one who can, through the gospel, open your eyes more and give you more grace and a deeper experience of God's love, I'm praying that the Spirit would give you the revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of Him or the relationship with your Father. In particular, I want you to know what is the hope that you're called to, the hope that's centered in Christ and in your Father. I want you to know what are His, God's glorious inheritance in you, And I want you to know about his immeasurable power that he has offered to you by nature of Jesus rising from the dead and ascending on high. I want you to know that that there's more than you can ever take in. And he finishes this prayer with talking about the fullness of him who is all in all. And if we attach this prayer to the prayer of chapter 3, which I think is legitimate given the similarity in terms, Paul prays that we might be able to comprehend together with the saints the breadth and the height and the depth and the so forth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding or is unsearchable, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so this is, these are the two parts. The Lord's given us a cup of his grace, but he's basically saying, listen, we've, we've only just begun. Quote a Kieran Carpenter line. Um, we've only just begun, and I'm thankful that you have a cup. And you know your Father, and you know forgiveness, and and you know that there is a life beyond death, and there's a resurrection, 
beyond that life. But there is a boundless ocean. And it, he's, his prayer, his petition, his request is for so much more. He aims its prayers at the breadths and the lengths and the heights and the depths and the limitlessness of those things. You see? This is his own practice. Like, he doesn't want the Ephesian believers and he doesn't want the Parkway believers to think that this little cup is all there is. And I wonder sometimes if after the... the when, you, when first, first has God revealed to their soul and you come to this faith in Jesus and there's this excitement, there's this wonder about it, there's this mystery about it. I wonder if many Christians get to a place where they stop believing that there's any more. And yes, they're, they're maybe grateful for a period of time for the amazing gift that their salvation is. But without believing that there's more and desiring more and praying for more and seeking after more and praying that for each other, that gratitude will eventually become familiarity and that familiarity will become complacency and that complacency will become apathy and pretty soon you're just a dead stump sitting in a pew. Because you've forgotten what God has done and how he's already worked in your life and you've perhaps doubted or disbelieved that there's so much more. Stop praying big. His prayers are just through the roof. They're not little ones. They're huge. Imagine if we prayed that way and believed that way and desired that way. That I have a cup that I, I want to stream. And then we as a community want a river. And we want the whole enchilada. We want everything God has to give. Which is measureless. I believe Tozer was right when he said, you can have as much of God as you want. But he went on to say that the degree to which one is filled by God is proportional to the degree of one's desire for God. A desire that shows itself in pleas and petitions, praying for one another, that God, thank you for the grace that I see in my son's life and my family and my wife and my my church, I'm just grateful that you're here. That makes for a joyful, healthy friendship, marriage, and community when there's this, this side of the equation firmly planted, the gratefulness that's continual. It's the first in our practice, and, and it's also the, the, the rooted and grounded in what really matters. That is the grace of God at work. But also to know there's so much more and to pray and to minister and serve and to seek you know, when I, I'll finish with this, but I was thinking if the church was a, a light bulb and the Holy Spirit through the gospel was the dimmer switch, you know, turn it up, brighter, down, duller. If the church is a light and the spirit and the gospel is the dimmer switch, we can be thankful today at Parkway that the lights are on. There's signs of grace, and I was thinking about it this morning. I thought of individuals and faces. Thought There are people who are alive here. Maybe most are alive here. I don't know everybody. Thank you, Lord, for that. But, thankful that the lights are on, we ought to be praying 
that the dimmer switch goes all the way to the top. So there's this radiant beam of God's grace that just shoots out of this church family, out of your marriages and out of your families because you have your feet firmly planted on the simple fact that I am grateful for the grace received, but I am hungry for more. I'm going to thank you for what you have given, but I'm going to petition you that you would turn the lights all the way on. That, brothers and sisters, Parkway family, is, is a healthy balance, I think, that each of us, as fathers, as mothers, as, as congregants, as brothers and sisters, part of the same church family, ought to be endeavoring to exercise each day, maintaining a good balance. Then our friendships will be sweet, and our fellowship will be sweet. Not judgmental, frustrated, or um, whatever other negative side effect that comes from a lack of gratitude, but also just praying that God opens the doors of heaven and just lets the rain come down. Will you take a minute or two to ask the Lord for this? Ask the Lord that he would plant our feet firmly on the gratitude for what he's already given to us. But also in the belief that there's so much more. Lord, give us grateful hearts, but give us hunger. Grateful hunger. Grateful hunger. Will you spend a few moments and just ask that for yourself? For your husband, for your wife, for your family, for this church? Uh, Grateful hunger.